Hello and welcome to the first season of the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon, based in a Lehigh Valley part of Pennsylvania. I'm a 1997 graduate of the College of New Jersey with a journalism degree who has worked in sports media for 25 years. For the last three months, I have been sending daily journalism salutes on social media, pairing them with donations to a wide range of journalistic organizations. My intent was to counter cries of fake news, lamestream media, and enemy of the people by doing a little of whatever I could each day to help. The next phase of this project is to learn more about the groups that I've been saluting. That's where these interviews come in. Who are these groups? What do they do? What do they do best? And why are they so important to our present and our future? We'll talk to people from a diverse set of organizations to try to learn more. Thank you for joining me. On this episode, we take the approach that you must look back to look forward. We're joined by Dr. Donna Lampkin-Stevens, the director of the School of Communication at the University of Central Arkansas, and Dr. Amy Edmondson, the director for graduate studies of Ohio University's Scripps School of Journalism. They are president and first vice president of the AJHA, that is the American Journalism Historians Association. Both are longtime journalists and published authors on books related to journalism history. Uh, Dr. Stevens, hello. Hi, Mark. Thanks so much for having us. And Dr. Edmondson, uh, hello. Hey, Mark. Good to talk to you today. Thank you. Uh, we're, we're glad to talk to you as well. This organization has been advancing teaching and research in mass communication history since 1981. I'm going to start by uh, letting them introduce what this group does. So that's my first question. Uh, Dr. Stevens, explain to us exactly what the AJHA does. We are all about uh, celebrating uh, journalism and mass communication history. And I've got a, an interesting story of how the organization got started. Uh, David Sloan, this name will mean something to a lot of people, uh, who actually taught me photography at the University of Arkansas when I was a sophomore at, in 1982. <laughs> uh, he finished his PhD at the University of Texas uh, in, in 1981 and had a paper accepted for AEJMC uh, in August at Michigan State. Well, there was another guy who taught at my school now, the University of Central Arkansas, Gary Whitby, and he also had a paper accepted, but he also had a fear of flying. So he talked to David Sloan into driving to uh, Michigan State to present their paper. So on the long drive back, they talked about how they, there needed to be an organization uh, focused on journalism history, so American Journalism Historian Association. Uh, a few months later, uh, David Sloan went to a regional journalism educator conference in Texas and met uh, Don Avery, who was then at Alabama, and then the, the, the movement sort of took off. Uh, David sent typewritten letters to people he could identify who had an interest in journalism history, and they started uh, organizing along with Gary Whitby the first conference, which was at SMU in Dallas in 1982. And about 30 people attended and they thought that was a real success. Uh, they uh, voted on the constitution and then held officer elections by mail. And since then, we've had a, a conference every year. Um, and next month, October the uh, second and third, Amy, mm -hmm. yes. uh, it, we will be uh, virtual this year for the first time. And what are the conferences typically like? Well, we have a lot of fun. Most of us are um, journalists, 
our, our former journalists, and um, we, we sound kind of nerdy being journalism historians, but we really have a good time. If you think about when a bunch of journalists get together and we're all really um, such good friends over the years, um, we, we have a pretty crazy time. We're some, we're some crazy kids. <laughs> and we have, we have the uh, moniker, the nicest people in history, and I think that really uh, fits us. Yeah, we work really hard during the day and, and, and love to hear each other's research and, and learn the latest thing um, that's happening um, in our field and how it connects to our history and why we should care. Um, and then we go out and have fun, right, Donna? Yes, yes. And I'll tell you that uh, our, you know, from that 30 original uh, attendees at the conference, we're up to almost 300 members for the last uh, many years. So the organization has grown and is on good footing. And David Sloan, who's retired from Alabama, told me this morning that I think we're in good shape so that when I'm gone, it will carry on. <laughs> I thought that was good. And, and what kind of research do, do your members do? Yeah, so everything from the history of um, the dissident or minority press mm -hmm. to um, coverage of civil rights issues um, over time and how they connect to today, um, biographies of noted journalists, mm -hmm. uh, you know, things like the history of the relationship between the press and presidents um, that's on the panel. Um, for uh, a panel for uh, the, the conference. We've got one called Solving the Fake News Problem! Exclamation point. And what we're going to do is we're going to really talk about the whole fake news moniker and, and, and have a somewhat of a call to action, I hope, um, for the members of the AJHA to talk about the relationship between press, the press and politicians. And we're bringing in a really interesting group that's already done a ton of work that we think is relevant, a group called the called NAMLI. I, I guess that's how you say it, but it's the National Association for Media Literacy Education. And so here you have a bunch of journalists and journalism educators who are going to spend some time talking with the experts on media literacy to talk about what we can do about raising awareness on how important it is to be able to really evaluate um, your news sources and figure out what's just, you know, a hack partisan website and what's actually, um, you know, true journalism. And so um, it's that kind of an, an advocacy role, I think, is a big part of what we do. That's certainly uh, important, and it segues into the next aspect of what I wanted to talk about. There was an eight bullet point list as part of a larger comment about the value of history uh, that came, came from, a, you're releasing the results of an evaluation of media history programs in colleges and universities. Some of those include History sharpens critical thinking about the operation of media today. History helps us appreciate the place of mass communication in the world today. History provides comparisons that help us to assess and evaluate the present state of mass communication. And history informs the instruction of basic media writing classes through enriched understanding of the development of news media form and content. At this time, what are the most important things to be considering about the history of journalism as you try to teach it? Well, I will tell you that this has been a long uh, project uh, for AJHA, gosh, um, seven, eight years. Amy, can you weigh in on that? Uh, at least that long. Uh, and, yes. and so this has been uh, an important uh, 
initiative that we've finally gotten through with a uh, number of you know uh, media history program me media programs across the country were uh, were surveyed and we came back with letter grades as to how well these schools uh, are doing in their in their teaching of of journalism history and it was um, it was pretty stunning I mean I'll tell you my my university got a D in the undergraduate because you know we don't we don't require a media history course and you know I'm sad that I don't get to teach journalism history regularly uh, I just have to infuse it into my uh, reporting classes and my media and society classes uh, Amy's school is is very well known for for teaching history and um, I, I think this is this has focused attention uh, to the administrators uh, the report was sent to provosts and uh, and presidents and department chairs all over the country and of course then COVID hit so I'm hoping that we can revisit this again at our individual schools to you know just reiterate the importance of teaching the history yeah in some schools uh, in some schools of journalism and mass communication it's a required course of um, the majors in the field um, in other schools it's an elective and then like Donna said of there's so much we have to teach journalism majors now in terms of you know all the digital skills when i was in college in the 80s you know i learned how to write and report and gather public records etc but you didn't have to be a jack of all trades in journalism the way you do now with you know streaming and being able to do podcasts um and so forth so so much of our curriculum are, are these multiple skills classes data journalism website building all the stuff that really you know is important and we should have but that does edge out journalism history which is is a real issue i think a real problem what makes a good journalism history class i think that at the undergraduate level especially but same with the grad level is you really have to make the students care you have to say okay this is what's happening present day now let's talk about either have we been here before and usually we've been here before um and you know similarities and differences between what's happening now and what happened um before for example when you cover the partisan press um we go all the way back to the dawning of the nation um and go okay we talk about john adams and the federalist party and uh, thomas jefferson and the anti-federalists the pro-jeffersonians and that partisan press was vicious and they went head to head trying to knock each other down um, in a way that that looks kind of like today and in some instances if you if you think about it so you can say to the students okay let's look at the press today who's on the conservative side who's on um, the more progressive or liberal side and who's right down the middle and then go, hey, you know, we've been here and this is what it looked like at the very beginning. Um, and I think it kind of helps bring history alive for them um, because I mean, this is their craft, this is their trade. And if they don't know the history of their profession, then um, you, they have childlike notions um, of their, their own career and uh, we don't want that. Are there certain techniques that you have to apply when you're teaching journalism now to because the attention spans of people and students can be uh, a little on the shorter side uh, that that work for uh, history related teaching? Oh my gosh, yes. I, I have shown 
documentaries, love to show documentaries. Uh, there's a lot of really good ones out there. And um, the ones that were done, oh, 20, 25 years ago, they seem shockingly slow paced compared to the really new, the nice new ones where things are really, um, they go faster because, you know, we, we tend to have these, like you said, these really short attention spans. So I'll show lots of, lots more clips now and bites as opposed to these full length documentaries maybe that I used to show. Um, and it's fun to show um, in the history of advertising, these like minute long commercials that just wouldn't end on television for, you know, some, some product, even like Coca-Cola, and it would be like, this commercial won't end, and then now it's just blip, a really fast um, little commercial, which is interesting to think about podcasts um, being these long, well, radio-like pieces that people actually listen to, like this one, hopefully. Thank you. Um, Dr. Stevens, I know you said that, that you don't necessarily get to teach media history as much as often as, as you do. How do you try to integrate uh, those kinds of things into the classes that you do teach? Every opportunity that you have to uh, bring in some, some, um, some context. I'll tell you, I found that my students, uh, and Amy, I'm sure this is true of yours too, they love stories from the actual, from, from, from what we've done in our, in our actual careers. Uh, and, and so anytime I can, uh, like I started off my advanced reporting class this uh, uh, this semester, the very first day I quoted uh, from John Lewis's quote in the book, The Race Beat. Are you familiar with that by uh, Gene Roberts and Hank Klebanoff? I'm not, no. Uh, it's a good one. You, you need to look at it. Amy said that we talked this morning and we agreed that we thought that we, uh, that would be the book we would recommend for a journalism history class. It's about uh, the coverage of the civil rights movement all across the South. Um, and, and it's and it's just amazing. Uh, I'll tell you that Amy does something very interesting as well. With her, she does a, a civil rights journalism uh, tour. I'm not sure what the name of the course is, but three times she's taken students on a civil rights tour of the South. And Amy, would you know you want to talk a little more about that? Yeah, sure. It, it was an offshoot of the journalism history class. And I found myself, because that's my uh, research area, that I just had so much that I wanted them to know. And so I just conceived of the spring break civil rights tour. So we hop on a bus and we go down south and go through Alabama, Mississippi, up through Tennessee, and, and hit a lot of the um, really interesting spots um, in the history of the civil rights movement, whether it's, um, you know, Money, Mississippi, where Emmett Till um, was murdered for uh, whistling at a white woman. Um, we're in Selma going across the Edmund Pettus Bridge. But the overlay on that is the press and the media's role in covering the civil rights movement. Um, and so it's one big case study of, um, you know, a, a decade or two in time um, in the role of the press in sort of um, illuminating and elevating um, the voices that we usually um, don't hear. Yeah, and like Donna, um, infusing journalism history into all of our classes is just so key. I mean, our members of the AJHA, um, they're like Donna, they, they chair the department. 
um, their deans, they, their provost and associate provost, et cetera. And so, but in the classroom, I, I like Donna with her advanced reporting, I do a history segment for data journalism. And so they think they're in there learning all this new media um, and going to be, you know, 100%, you know, forward thinking digital. And I'm like, let's take a minute and talk about how far back data visualization and data journalism goes. And just to give them that depth of, of that understanding of our field. What's you their reaction to that, Amy? You know, I think they're really interested in it. They're like, wow. And I quote this editor of a really well-known magazine who said a few, just a handful of years ago, data journalism is this brand new thing that, and I was like, wrong. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but in a natured way, you know, and just say, hey, you really need to know. Um, and we can learn from some of these amazing projects that were done, um, you know, decades and decades ago. One of the things that you talked about, you said that you like telling students about personal experiences. You combine that with the new technology and you combine that with what you were just talking about. One thing that I find fascinating, and I'm just curious if you have any sort of take on it, is the history of headline writing. I go back to uh, 25 years ago when I was at the Trenton Times and every so often I'd have to write a headline or I'd have to fill in on the desk for a little bit, write a headline, get the, the right point number uh, correct and have it line up just right. And uh, now that's not necessarily as relevant. Now it's all about the grabbing the reader and, and bringing the reader in uh, and a lot of hype certainly uh, put to use in headlines. I'm curious if you have any sorts of perspective on the history of headline writing. I just think you know, a of what a lost art of counting the headlines. Remember uh, the word, I mean, the letter yep. count. Yeah, so um, um, I haven't done much. I've, most of my time was spent as a sports writer. I didn't write many headlines, you know, uh, when I was working, uh, but, uh, but loved the class. And, and it was, there was something about being able to, um, to just get that count exactly right. Amy, did you learn it that way? Oh yeah, absolutely. We're kind of uh, contemporaries a little bit here. Um, but, the, but the notion of the headline writing and, and your point, Mark, about, you know, the headlines today where it's like these 10 things, you won't believe what happened. And, and so it's just this clickbaity kind of thing that you even see a little bit too much in, I think, publications that you wouldn't expect that um, in ordinarily. Um, but it, of course, it does harken back to these big blazing monster headlines um, from the Pulitzer era, late 1800s, um, that were really sensationalistic, a rather dark period of journalism history with the circulation war between Pulitzer and um, William Randolph Hearst um, in New York City. And um, big screaming headlines that um, when you're walking down the street and you look over and you see the newspaper per, newspaper for sale, um, you're going to go by and pick it up because of these big screaming headlines they're trying to get your attention. So I see some similarities, um, you know, between the late 1800s and the circulation wars between the media titans of the day and today. Yeah, it's amazing. It's one of those things that uh, I'm like, I still get my newspaper, my local paper every day. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm treating it when I read it like I treated it when I would read it 20 years ago. Uh, and it was, uh, and it's completely different from certainly from the phone experience or the laptop or desktop experience. I have two other topics that I wanted to bring up uh, just to close this out. One is the Speakers Bureau, which I think we alluded to. 
I enjoyed the list so much. Among the areas of history covered, the, the history of newspaper cartoons, the history of women war correspondents, the history of race and gender, the history of photojournalism, alternative media, the history of documentaries, censorship, and the history of obituaries. And I actually remember seeing the movie about the New York Times obituary writers a few years ago. That's a fascinating topic, certainly. Uh, tell us about the Speakers Bureau and tell us how uh, people can take advantage of it. It's been around for a long time. Uh, uh, the, the idea was that uh, we wanted to make a list available of our people at, with their contact information and their areas of expertise so that uh, journalists, uh, mainly journalists, or you know anyone who, who is looking for expertise in some particular area could contact us. And I'll tell you, it's, it's on the AJHA website. It's on the website uh, you, under resources. And um, actually, it hasn't been used that much. I spoke to our administrative uh, secretary, Erica Probonik-Smith, and she said that generally, um, you know, people just call her and then she, she gives them a name from that list. But we would love for people to be able to access it on our website now. Absolutely. Um, all right. So I wanted to talk, uh, to talk briefly about your individual fields of expertise. Uh, Dr. Edmondson, yours is civil rights era libel law. What would you like to tell us about that and about the books that you've written? Yeah, this was published um, in 2019. Um, so it, it just came out. And this is a study of how American libel law was rewritten during the civil rights era. We talked a lot about the civil rights movement um, today, but um, super interesting from a historical perspective and from a journalism perspective. And so libel law was rewritten um, after um, civil rights protesters um, appealed to the country, um, help us, we need money to get our civil rights leaders out of jail because they keep getting arrested for picketing and protesting and they keep getting arrested for loitering. And this would have been uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was uh, particularly um, uh, victimized in terms of um, being arrested for, for his leadership. And so ultimately though, um, th there is an accusation that um, the public officials down South are, are violators of the constitution. So a lawsuit was filed um, and what, what comes out of that is a landmark libel case, New York Times versus Sullivan from 1964 um, that really freed up the press to, to be able to cover things like Watergate, the Vietnam War, the civil rights movement. Um, and so as long as we publish something without actual malice, and so as long as we publish something knowing that um, we've done the research, we've done the hard work um, to do the reporting, then even if the press gets something wrong by accident, they're very likely to be protected. Um, the US Supreme Court said, hey, we need some breathing room as journalists to be able to cover controversial topics and human error being what it is, um, you know, every now and then mistakes will be made, but we don't have to, to live in constant fear that we're going to be bankrupt by um, a litigious um, plaintiff who is really maybe um, just coming after the press because um, they don't like what they wrote as, as opposed to it not being um, 
true. So, so I expand on that quite a bit and talk about a wide range of cases, libel cases that really were an onslaught um, that shut down the press for a while from covering the civil rights movement until um, the US Supreme Court overturned um, New York Times versus Sullivan finding um, for the press and expanding this press freedom. Um, and it's, I think it's pretty relevant to today because we are seeing this resurgence in libel suits um, filed by public officials um, who are, I think, seeking to shut down the press and stop coverage of things they would rather the public not know. Um, Dr. Stevens, you read a book on the death of the Arkansas Gazette and produced a movie about its history. How does that fit within the realm of journalism history? You know, it was very interesting because I had worked at the Arkansas Gazette from 1984 until the day the doors closed in 1991. I was there when they kicked us out, armed guards, all that. And, um, you know, you don't realize that what you've gone through turns into history. And so when, when I, um, I had a, a, a young man who came to our campus who wanted to partner on this documentary film, uh, the Old Gray Lady, Arkansas's first newspaper. And so because of my background, I got involved there. Uh, we uh, uh, produced a 90-minute documentary. It premiered on the 15th anniversary of the closing of the Arkansas Gazette. And I'll, let me back up and say that the Arkansas Gazette was the first newspaper to win two Pulitzer Prizes in the same year for its coverage of the same event, which was this, uh, the, the desegregation of Little Rock Central High School. Um, uh, we... Um, the family owned it, uh, the high school Patterson family owned it from 1902 until 1986. And then it was sold to uh, the Gannett Corporation. Five years later, the, the Arkansas Gazette was dead. And so we did, I mean, I was unemployed along with a lot of other people and you know, my life took a turn. And then with this documentary film, I sort of uh, found my scholarly uh, uh, you know, uh, niche um, uh, from that, the very night of the premiere at the Clinton Presidential Library, uh, one of my former colleagues who was then the uh, director of the uh, uh, journalism program at the University of Southern Mississippi uh, said to me, uh, we want you to come to Southern Miss and, and do your, your PhD. And I said, well, I, you know, I can't do that. I've got a job, you know, I've got a life. And he said, well, we'll take two summers and we want your dissertation to be on the history of the Arkansas Gazette. Well, look at all this work I'd done on this film hours and hours and hours of interviews and, and uh, background research, and we had to condense it into 90 minutes. So that became uh, the basis for my, for my dissertation, which was published by the University of Arkansas Press in 2015. So, uh, but it's, you know, I, 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 I sort of feel like I'm an accidental scholar because when you're so upfront, when you're so involved with, with, with something in your life that's so, you know, that it's just part of your job, and, and then you uh, realize that it can become you know, uh, an area of research uh, and scholarship. And so I've been very, very lucky for that. And, you know, corporate journalism is, is I mean, I, is terrible. I mean, look at what's happening all over the country. Um, I, I don't know what the answer is. And to close the show, I was hoping you could pick a journalism organization that you would like to salute. Yeah, hats off to investigative reporters and editors, IRE, um, which trains journalists, um, journalists helping journalists to learn investigative reporting techniques, public records acquisition, and uh, data journalism um, techniques. It's uh, an amazing organization. Um, I'm involved with them, and uh, I love to teach for them, and um, the hats off to them. 
also the Society of Professional Journalists. Certainly, yeah, we, we hope to be talking to them uh, down the road. All right, thank you for both of you for taking the time to join us. Best of luck uh, with your uh, scholarly pursuits this year and beyond, and we'll certainly be keeping tabs on the AJHA. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much, this was fun. I'm a big fan of history and a big fan of history organizations. The AJHA reminds me of one of my favorite groups, the Society for Baseball Research. Its members are passionate about their subject matter and enjoy sharing their expertise. There's something for everyone. I thank Dr. Stevens and Dr. Edmondson for taking the time to talk to me. To learn more about the organization, go to its website at ajha.wildapricot.org and consider registering for the AJHA's National Conference on October 2nd and 3rd. It's free and open to the public. The Journalism Salute is dedicated to the memory of Dr. Robert Cole, known as Father Journalism at Trenton State College, the College of New Jersey. Dr. Cole impacted hundreds of students in his 33 years at the school. His press history class was comprehensive. I remember him having a particular passion for what he called the Trenton Press War, the rivalry of two newspapers in central New Jersey. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. If you're interested in following along with us, follow us on Twitter at Journalism Salute, S-A-L-U-T. There are more episodes to come. Thank you for tuning in.